I'm going to just keep talking. Can you guys hear me? I'll speak up a little. All right, good. Um, so, I'm, yeah, I, it really is a privilege to be here, and I really have a sense of expectancy about, uh, about this season. And I, those of you I haven't met, I know some of you are, are probably 18-year-old freshmen, and I go back to when I was an 18 year for me was such a hugely impactful year in my life. And God did so much in setting me on the path of, of my calling and with relationships that would change my life. And so much so that I decided I want to keep staying around college students the rest of my life. And so here I am. And, but not just college students. I, it's, you know, our church is about people at all walks and ages of, of life coming to know God and build our life upon him and then be equipped to... To, to make a difference in the world and for other people. And so we are, uh, that's what we're all about, just, just helping people connect with God and others and our purpose in life. We are today uh, actually wrapping up a series we've been going through this whole summer. We've been going through the, the New Testament book of 1 Peter, and we took a couple of weeks off the last couple of weeks. Oh, there we go. <laughs> now we're nice, okay. Uh, we took a couple of weeks off the last couple of weeks from 1 Peter. But doing, we were hearing missions trip testimonies and other things. But today we're wrapping up with the last chapter of 1 Peter. And our, our title is called Elect versus Elite. Right? Get that right? I should have got it right by the end of the summer. Yeah. Elect versus Elite. And so there's this theme in, in 1 Peter. It's addressed to God's elect, which means God's chosen people. And that's contrasted with the world's elites, what the world says leadership is all about, or what we really should try to be like. And so I'm speaking to us today, and we're going we're gonna to actually read this chapter. It's just 14 short verses, a few paragraphs. I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to break it down and look at some themes that are here. But I'm trusting that if you're in this room, that you're here because, you know, you're either part of the elect, or you're at least very interested in this whole God thing, and what it would mean to center your life on God. So, before I read, let's just pray together and ask God to speak to us. Father, you are the, our, our source, you are our creator, you are our leader, and Lord, we are uh, looking to you today. And I ask, even as we, as we look at your word that you've given to us 2,000 years ago, that these words, by your Holy Spirit, you would make them come alive and speak to our hearts and our minds exactly what you want us to hear so that we could be transformed and know you and follow you and um, hear what you have for us right now. God, I, I pray that you would drop things into our spirits as we're here in this time. Lord, let, don't, we don't want to waste it. God, would you speak and, and do things for us that only you can do. We trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm just going to read through here, and then we're going to break it down a little bit. 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 1. This is Peter writing. He was one of the original 12 of Jesus, really kind of the, the leader of the 12, if there was a leader. And this is towards the end of his life. Um, he's writing from Rome, where he ended up, and more on that later. But he is writing to these churches scattered across what modern-day Turkey, what was then considered you know, Asia Minor. And... Uh, so he, he's writing to these believers, the, the elect. He says, so I exhort, exhort means to strongly encourage and challenge, 
to call someone up into something. So I exhort the elders among you. And elders, it's, it's both kind of referencing those who are older, but also the men who had a place of, of leadership and responsibility in these local churches. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So it's like, hey, I, I witnessed Christ's sufferings firsthand, and I'm also someone who's a participant, a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, that God has for the world and for his people. So here's my exhortation to you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, like you have to, but willingly, from the heart, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, or selfish gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. It just strikes me as I read this that, man, our world today, the, our model of leadership in the world could really use some of this instruction. Like what real leadership is all about. Not domineering, not for selfish interests, but for the good of those who you are supposed to be leading. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, some of you are like, yeah, that first part didn't apply to me. Maybe now it does. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, be subject, some translations say, uh, submit to or give, give honor to. The elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, so this applies to every one of us, no matter what, middle age or wherever you fit. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And at this time, the, the early church across the Roman Empire was being heavily persecuted by the powers that be, but definitely parallel to what it's been like for Christians throughout the ages, including today. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the glory, forever, the dominion, forever and ever. Amen. Well, there's his final charge to these believers that he's writing to. And then he kind of wraps it up with some final greetings. By Silvanus, or also known as Silas, a faithful brother as I regard him, I've written briefly to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greeting. greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. 
Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Uh, I just want to make note of that. She who is at Babylon. What, like, what's that? Um, Babylon, throughout Scripture, it's this motif, kind of a, a code or symbolic of going all the way back to the Tower of Babel, which was when people tried to build a tower for themselves to become like God and not need God through their own power and technology, and then God thwarted that. But that later became the site of the city of Babylon, which was the epicenter of the spiritual powers of darkness that were trying to that basically try to rule the world through human means, through force and dominion and technology used for just human pride. And so in the New Testament times, that epicenter of the spiritual powers of Babylon, the human way of living and trying to control the world, had shifted from Babylon to Rome. This is now the Roman times. And Peter's in Rome. And so when he says, she who is at Babylon, most, most biblical you know, you know, students of the word believe that he's just referring to she is the church. The church that's with me in Babylon, in Babylon, the church that's with me in Rome, here in the middle of the epicenter of humanistic darkness and humanistic pride, here we are. We're on the inside. We're, we're in the world but not of the world here in, in Rome, and we're sending you greetings. And you can relate because you're not in Rome, but you're in this Roman Empire that is, is controlled by the way of the world and that is very different from this new kind of kingdom that you're part of. And so our as I was thinking about, okay, God, there's so much in here. You know, this whole book we talked about this summer. There's just every, there's so many phrases that could be enough to chew on for a whole month. But okay, what are the themes for us to look at today? Our our title of this message is "What to Expect in Babylonia." You know, we're we're in Babylonia. We're in the the empire of the world. We're in this world system, and and Peter's writing to people in in the Roman Empire, in the world system from from Rome. But saying, hey, this is what you need to expect. This is how you need to live. This is what you need to look out for. And this is what's expected of you. And so I've got three takeaways for us today about what we should expect living in Babylonia. Any of you, any of you think that's a good parallel? Like, are we in Babylonia now? Any of you feel that way? Yeah, I feel that way. Um, my daughter, Anna, just came back from Los Angeles. And she was like, wow, basically, it's really Babylonia out here. Like, I feel like I'm in a culture that's like, there's no, like, reference to God, any, or morals, or just any, like, that, I, you could just feel it in the atmosphere. My other son, a couple, a little while back, was in Denver after some of the protests, and, like, the Capitol building was, was spray-painted on, and he was like, oh, man, like, this is just, I'm feeling like what the world is like when people are doing things apart from God. And we're seeing this battle going on very much in the world today. So what, what to expect in this world that we find ourselves in? The first expectation is expect opposition. Expect opposition. Nobody seems too excited about this. You know, a lot of us, when, when someone explained the gospel to us, when they tried to explain to us what it means to, to follow Jesus and to believe in, in Jesus as our, as our Savior and our Lord, a lot of times it was all about the benefits. It's about, hey, Jesus died to take away your sins, and so you could be forgiven and go to heaven when you die. That was how I first heard the explanation of the gospel. And that's all true and very important. But a friend of mine says, you know, when, when, the, when, the, man, when, the, man, when the man explained it to me, he didn't tell me I was signing up for a war. 
And that's the reality, is that when we say yes to Jesus, we're signing up for a war. And um, it's actually interesting in this passage, there are two sources of opposition, two possible sources of opposition that we read about. We're going to be opposed by one force or the other. The first thing Peter says is, hey, be humble. Humble yourselves before God because God, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So, I mean, that should stop us in our tracks, right? Like, oh, man, because we all have tendencies to be proud. Like, oh, man, but when I'm proud, God, that's something God doesn't let go. God doesn't just let that slide. Like, God, like, he's gracious, but he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, that's one option, is to be opposed by God. And that may be some of our, like if we're awake, maybe the light bulbs are going off. Like, oh, that's what was going on two months ago in my life. <laughs> like, I was like, man, why is this? Oh, maybe, you know, I was proud. And there was, God was like, out of his graciousness, resisting that. Because that's not what he has for me. Um, so, we can expect opposition possibly from God when we're proud. But the other um, opposition, if we're in the kingdom of God, if we've said yes to King Jesus then we expect opposition from our adversary, the devil. And that's what, so Peter says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Last night, I, I had a few dreams. In the middle of one of my dream, dreams, I was in a friend's house, and there was this like staircase going upstairs with a banister kind of hallway upstairs, and and I was down below, and then there was a person or two upstairs, and I looked up, and in their house was this massive polar bear standing on his hind legs. And he, looked, he came out around the corner, and he looked at me, and he growled. And I had the same feeling you feel like when there's a dog that you think might be hostile. It was like, uh, what's the best move here? Do I look him in the eye and try to, like, Say, hey, no, man, you back down. <laughs> or do I avoid eye contact and hope that he doesn't attack me? But, man, that's really scary because I don't even know where he's at if I'm not looking at him. I had that same, like, thought process going through my mind. And if you think about, like, if there was, if you knew that there was a 10-foot polar bear, that's, like, what he was like in my dream, that was your adversary, and he was prowling around seeking someone to maul, you would live life a little differently than if that polar bear did not exist. And what Peter's telling us is, hey, actually, you do have an adversary, and he is more dangerous and hates you more, is more intent on destroying your life than a lion or a polar bear. And not only that, but he's very intelligent, and he's very deceptive as well. One of his greatest... Uh, strengths or schemes is that he doesn't show himself most of the time. He works undercover. And I've, uh, my, my favorite recent picture of how like the devil and his kingdom works in the world and through people is I was watching Incredibles 2 with my 11-year-old daughter, Amzi, this summer. And I realized like the evil characters in this movie, like that is how evil usually works. And so we've got Winston and Evelyn here. And you know, in this picture, they actually look, they look fairly sinister. Um, but a lot of times throughout the movie, they, like, they look really appealing. And you don't know that they're bad, right, for, for a lot of the movie. And they're like, 
they're all, you know, their talk and their talk, you know, the stuff that they're talking about seems appealing and seems good and it's, it's very, you know, humanistically, you know, makes, it kind of makes sense to us. But we realize behind this nice facade, there is a destructive desire and uh, strategy going on. And that is how, you know, most of the world, how the devil is working in the world today. It's not through someone who looks like Lucifer, but it's through agents who look more like this, but are living without God and trying to build Babylon, trying to build life without God, trying to build society without God. Um, so what, is, what does Peter say? If you expect opposition, what do, you, what do you do about that? Well, he says, resist him. Standing firm in your faith. You know, a question I have about the polar bear. Do I run or do I stand up? He says, stand up. Resist him. The apostle James, in another book, says, resist the devil and he will flee. So our call as believers is not to back down. It's not to be quiet. It's not to go along with things. But it's to resist. It's to be part of the resistance. Um... Yesterday, you know, next Saturday, this coming Saturday, we're going out to Triangle Park, which if you don't know where it's at, it's the tree you can look out through that window. Okay, that's Triangle Park right there. Um, but yesterday, a bunch of us went out to City Park, where there's this event that the city of Manhattan was putting on called Pet Palooza, where before they shut down the city pool, they give dog owners a chance to bring their dog to the pool and go in the water and have a good time. And so about two weeks ago, a few of us were sitting around, and we were like, hey, what can we do to just make connections with people and reach out? There's Petpalooza. That'd be cool. Like, we could take our, we got a big tent with our name on it, and we could pass out dog snacks and some waters. And so we decided, let's, let's ask the city if we can do that. And so Jesse here reached out to the city of Manhattan, and it was like 10 days before the event, and didn't get an answer, didn't get an answer, voicemail, email, another voicemail, just kept like, so finally, like last Tuesday, he finally gets a reply to his email. But then it's like, hey, yeah, you, you know, you can do that. You can be a vendor, and you can set something up, and just you got to pay 30 bucks. And so we start this process, or we, so we move forward. And, you know, we're kind of like, we don't, we really don't have to have permission. It's the city park. Like, we can just, we can do that. But then on Friday at 2 o'clock, Jesse gets an email, and the lady says, oh, actually, we're not going to allow you to do this because you might be violating the city's rules on religious solicitation. And someone might, or someone might think that you're violating the city's rules on religious solicitation. And so, and I don't have time to deal with this. It's just tomorrow. This is last minute. Never mind that I you know, never got back to you for the last two weeks. But we don't have time now, so we've got to talk to, we'd have to talk to our lawyers. There's no time, so you can't come. So we get this Friday afternoon. And so we have a decision to make. Like, hey, what, what do we do? I mean, we sh that, the city just told us not to come. So we thought about it. We talked it over. We talked to some friends. We have our good friend Rich Lorenzo, um, who many of you know. He's, he's the president of Call to Greatness, our campus ministry, and um, he's on the, the elder team of our church. He's also a lawyer. So we reached out to him. And he confirmed what we were feeling. He's like, you know, they don't, this is, is there anything? We looked online. There was actually no regulation that we could find anywhere. There was no law that we could find. And so we, he said, I, I don't, you know, if you guys want to do it, I think you can do it. And we, so we decided we're just going to do it. 
But Rich was like, you got to be ready. You got to know that like, if they come and tell you that you have to leave, what are you going to do? And how far are you willing to go? Like, are you, what are you going to say if they tell you you need to go? And if they call the police, what are you willing to do? And so I had this internal thought process, and I decided, you know, I think this is worth taking a stand for. Like, there's, we have every right to be here, and there's actually no, no law, and if, it might be interesting if they asked me to go to jail. So, <laughs> so I told my kids, hey, you know, let's enjoy this lunch, because <laughs> I might not be here for dinner tonight. <laughs> so, so we went. And many of you were there, and we had a great turnout. And you know what? You know what the city did about it? Nothing, actually. <laughs> you know, there was actually nobody even, like, from the, we had a lot of great interactions with dog owners and dogs and talked to people, and it was great. And nobody else even talked to us the whole time. But there was so often, and, you know, that is the way it is. Like, the, the enemy intimidates us and says, hey, you can't do that. And then you back down. And, but if you just do it, many times that's all that, that, you know, that's the end of it. But not always. You know, you got to be willing to go farther. I mean, these, Peter's writing to people, and he literally gave his life to be a, a, a follower of Jesus, and that's the same call that we all have. So we got to expect opposition. Um, I think about uh, World War II, and when, after Pearl Harbor happened, and all at once it was evident in the United States that, oh, we do have an enemy. And it's not just on the other sides of the world, but they're actually attacking us. There was, the response was, okay, if there is opposition, if we have an enemy, what are we going to do? The answer was mobilize an army. And it wasn't to stand up to Hitler and Nazi Germany and Japan, America was not in a place when Pearl Harbor happened that we could defeat them in war. So something had to happen to get from the place. There is resistance. There is an army that's trying to destroy us. What are we going to do? And that's actually where, probably where the church is today and where many Christians are today. Is There is opposition. There is an enemy trying to destroy you, trying to destroy our world. But we, many of us, are not in a place where we are able to push back on the enemy. And the same answer for us is the same answer as it was in the 1940s. It was, okay, we've got to mobilize an army. And we, many of us got to join the army. And think of the church as the army. We've got we to join up with some like-minded people. We've got to get trained. Man, I'm not in shape. I've got to learn, to get in, I gotta learn how to get in shape. I've got to be a disciple i got to learn how to become spiritually strong so that I have the wherewithal with other people to resist the enemy, not only for my own life, but for our culture. And that's really what Bluemont's all about. You know, we're about, that's, that's a big part of what we're about, is being a mobilizing place where people can come and get trained and equipped and sent out to resist the enemy and be part of what God wants to do in the world. Um, so expect opposition. That leads to the second what to expect in Babylonia is we've got to expect to serve. You know, when, when World War II happened, when Pearl Harbor happened and the U.S. entered the war, there was a lot of people, like my grandfather, joined the Navy, 
volunteered, but that was really, for a lot of them, part of it was, well, I'd rather volunteer because if I don't, I'm going to get drafted. Because, and that's going to be on the front lines. And everybody's expected to serve. It's just a matter of where. Because there's a war going on. And when we read 1 Peter, there's this expectation that, man, no matter who you are, if we're following Jesus, it's, it's about giving of our lives. It's about serving. It's about living for others. Living for, for something beyond myself, but really serving. And I like how it starts out at the very beginning. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. You know, really, he's, he's showing us that Jesus is our model in all this, right? Like, he's, he's not, Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he didn't do. He did so much more. Like, he gave everything for us. He gave everything for the world. And Peter was so transformed by seeing Jesus, seeing his life, seeing his service, seeing his sacrificial death, that it raised him up to say, i, I got to live the same way that my master did. And so uh, Peter's writing to the elders, and he says, hey, you gotta, you got to serve others. Shepherd the flock. Care for them. He goes into to how they're supposed to serve. Um, it struck me as I was thinking about this this week that, you know, the, the elders among you, even just the biblical idea, an elder is like the leadership office in a local church in the New Testament. So it's people who have been recognized as faithful, and they're put in a position of, of leadership. And it's very interesting that they're not, it's not based upon education, really. It's not based upon charisma or even very little about abilities when you look at what the biblical requires to be, requirements to be an elder. But it's really about faithfulness and character and how much you're willing to serve other people. And it's kind of the expectation, and this was in, in, in Hebrew culture already, that an elder, even the word elder, just means an older person. And the idea is like, hey, if you're older, you should be living for others. Kind of like, like most people, you're going to grow up and you're going to get married and you're going to have kids. And so there's an expectation that you're going to become a mom or a dad, and you're going to have responsibility for more than your own life. And in the, in the community and in the church, there's this expectation God has that, hey, is being an elder just means you're someone who's been around for a little while, and you've got enough wherewithal and maturity and you're, that you can live for other people. And that's really what biblical leadership is all about. It's that you've, you've built that in your own life, and then you can, you can live for others. Um, it's you know, it looks like being a shepherd, I, which is, I just love that. You know, it's like, okay, it's the shepherd cares for his sheep, and you're, you're, seeing people, you're seeing those that are younger than you, and you're, you're, you're leading them. It says that, you know, multiple times. Be an example. Like, you're a model that they can follow after you, and then you're caring for others. You're, you're seeing the needs, feeding, taking, taking notice of people around you. Um, we, could, we could break that down more and more. Um, but I, it's cool, too, how it, you know, we talked about earlier when I read that, that you're not off the hook if you're younger. And this, this service, and I, I want to say this, this went to, I had a hard time figuring out, like, what do I call this? Serve? I almost called it generosity. But I was like, you know, really, none of these words are strong enough because what he's talking about, I think sometimes when we hear serve, we're like, hey, I can, like, you know, be on a, you know, we talk about it at our church. Like, we have volunteer teams for Sunday mornings and serve, and that's really important. But like the whole purpose of service is like, hey, I'm going to be on the coffee team once a month, and I'm serving. 
But that's so different from what Peter's talking about. It's more like, hey, no, there's a war going on and join the army. It's like my whole life is to be about giving everything I have to serve God and to serve others. And so we're not off the hook if we're we're younger. He says, you know, you you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, what does that mean? I was thinking about that. Really, I think the essence of what this is talking about is having a coach in your life. Having people in your life who are farther down the road than you that you are taking instruction from, that you are giving them a place in your life. And when we hear like be subject to, we think very like, you know, authoritarian structures and someone's just commanding you and telling you what to do. But it's really the way God's kingdom works. It's always from the heart. And it's more a place of you recognize that, oh, these are people that are more mature than me and they have skills that I do not yet have. And I can allow them to have a place in my life that will help me to serve God more effectively, to fulfill my calling more effectively, and to be developed as a person more effectively. In sports, it's, like, you know, it's, it's very evident the way a coach works. Or you know, in music, where you got a, a teacher, where you are not many people you know, I was bemoaning this with my, my son Ian, 14-year-old son. He was talking about, you know, Dad, I, just, I wish I had better coaches. It's kind of hitting him right now. And I was like, ah, I can relate to that. He was like, I, were, I just don't feel like they've taught me the skills that I needed to get. And now, you know, he just made the freshman soccer team, so he's, he's doing okay. But he's realizing, like, man, I wish some, there's someone would help me more. And I was like, I felt the same way. I played basketball from the time I was a kid through high school. And, like, my shot just was never very good. And I was like, why didn't any of these coaches, like, help me develop my shot better? And it's true. You know, I know there are coaches and people that had coaches that were better at getting in there and working with it. But the flip side is like, well, why didn't I seek that out more? Like, why didn't I see people more who really had that shot and say, hey, I really need help. Will you coach me? Will you break it down? Will you get me what I need to develop my game? And that's what, you know, really the call to be a disciple is, one of the biggest factors is we're disciples of Jesus, but we have people in our life who we say, hey, I, I want you to help me in this process. And that's, again, that's, that's a lot of what we're all about, is, is being disciples and helping to coach people into the life that God has called you to live. I've found that, here's the thing, if you, if you want to be coached, coaches notice who does what they're encouraged to do. I hear a lot of people be like, hey, nobody like told me that. And a lot of times the reason is because people have told you stuff and you didn't do what they told you. So they stopped telling you stuff. It's like, well, I've, given, I've told you this. But you haven't put that into practice. So I'm looking for people that are coachable. I'm looking for people that want to learn. I'm, I'm looking for people that are like, I'm going like, to not just be like, and it's not lip service. I mean, it's so like, man, it's so in, entrenched in us. We're so good at like talking the talk of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, like making it sound like we're doing it and probably even deceiving ourselves half the time. But good coaches, like they notice. Okay, that's the person who I told them to do something. They tried it. Okay, I'm going to give them something else now. 
I'm going to give them some feedback. So, and that was worth your price of admission right there. <laughs> Serving God looks like having a coach in your life. Do you seek instruction? What do you do with the instruction you're given? As we do that, and this is what's huge. If, if we're doing it from the right place, it's like the Bible when it talks about children obey your parents. It says, in the Lord. The idea is, seeing that your parents, as long as they're not contradicting God's word, they're people God's put in your life as his representatives, and as you obey them, you're serving not just them, but God. Some of you are like, man, I wish I'd have known that for the last 18 years, and I just left home. But, no, that's, but it's the same. Like God, it's not about that person, really, but it's about how are we being coachable from God. And if we're not coachable through people, then news alert. We're probably not that coachable with God, really, because it's, it's, it goes hand in hand. Okay, so we've got to expect opposition. We've got to expect to serve. That's how we, we become, and this, this whole book a lot is about becoming the people God called us to be. You know, I love how Peter starts this chapter, and he's like, I'm a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Glory, we, we're like, what does that mean? Is that like some, like, mystical cloud and like heavenly thing is going to happen at some point. But a lot of it is, the glory is, is us becoming the glorious people that God intended us for, for us to be. It's for us overcoming sin and our brokenness and the crud of the world and our lives and becoming fully who God made us to be. Like, that's your life. Why would you, like... Why would you go to war? Why would you serve? You know, just because you, you, someone tells you to. But it's because there's something glorious that God intends to do through our lives as we do that. And that's the third takeaway here from this chapter is expect a reward. All throughout this passage, he's, Peter's, he's encouraging his audience with, hey, there's a reward for you as you do this. I'm not just telling you to tell you because I got a chip on my shoulder, but hey, it is worth it. It is so worth it. You will be glad that you gave your life. You will be glad that you engaged in the battle. You will be glad that you laid down your life fully. There is a reward. That's so good. When the chief shepherd appears, he says in, in verse 4, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I'm sure it's really good. That what God has for his people who have been faithful there is a crown of glory that he will give us in that point. And, you know, I think about a couple of, I haven't gotten a lot of awards in my life, but a couple, there have been a couple that, like, felt really good. It was like, oh, man, that was worth it. That was, I, I like that award. That is nothing compared to the reward, the crown of glory that God is going to have for us at the end of our lives um, who, who have been part of this. And then he just keeps going on with, hey, there's, there's a reward. Clothe yourselves with humility. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's a reward. It's not just at the end of your life. But if you're humble, if you're serving, there's grace that will come your way. This is not just like, come on, try harder. Come on, do more. Be, no, it's like, hey, humble yourself. There's grace. There's a reward as we look to God. In Hebrews, we're told that, we can't come to God unless we believe that He exists and He's the rewarder of those who seek Him. You know, there's, all of us are facing choices. All of us are going to face choices in the next few months. And the choice is whether, how much we're going to seek God, how much we're going to follow God. But it's essential that we know, God, You are, and if I seek You, if I follow You, there's a reward. 
There is grace that will come. It may not look like what I want it to look or what I expect or the timing or the way, but there is real grace. And so, God, I'm going to come to you expecting your grace. I want to expect. I, I need your grace in my life right now. I, I mean, I got issues. I got areas. I got challenges. I need your grace. Come, expect. To live in Babylonia, to live in this world, we, we should, he wants us to expect grace, and he'll give it to us. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Wow, that almost seems like sacrilegious. Like, wow, like he's appealing that for us to, to be exalted. But that it, God wants to exalt us. His goal is not just to like have us grovel. His, his goal is that we would become fully who he made us to be, that he could lift us up as the people he made us to be. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Um, yeah, just love this. These rewards are not just external, but they're the, it's a reward of what God does in our lives. And that's like... So rewarding when you see God work inside you and change you and your relationship with him grows. It's like, oh man, thank you, God. This is good. This is good. In verse 10 and 11, close with this. Or look, This is the last part of this we're going to go back to. After you've suffered a little while, after you've suffered a little while, now you've got to know that a little while for God may be different than a little while for us. <laughs> All right, so I don't, I, that's, I figured that out over the years. You know, our timing is, is not always his. It may seem like a long time, but it's, it is really not that long. And I will tell you, as, you know, in my late 40s now, like, how did that happen? Like, I like how I heard someone just quote someone who said, oh, Ronald Reagan actually saw this. He quoted someone one of the old Greek philosophers, and he said, how old would you be if you didn't know how old you were? But that's, I like that. I don't think I'd be 48. I'd be like 24, actually. Like, that's, that's how old I feel. But anyway, that's a side note. Um, where was I going? <laughs> After you've suffered a little while. That, like, actually, those years, they, they, it is a little while. It, like, it actually does go quickly. And so... After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, there it is again, he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And there's a reward. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, he's going to meet you. He's going to do something good. He's going to restore you. He's going to confirm you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to establish you. So look to him. Look to him. Look to him as a rewarder. So today, you know, I, I think there's a lot, of the, a lot in here for all of us, but God may be highlighting to you, hey, you need to expect some opposition. You need to expect that, like, following him isn't going to mean it's just going to be easy. Expect opposition. Um, I, but maybe get a little excited about it. Maybe get a little like, okay. I remember I, I came to college as a, a believer, um, and I really needed coaching. 
and I really needed more of the Holy Spirit in my life. And those things happened, began to happen right away for me. And I remember being in my Western Civ class and my other classes and just being like, game on. Mm-hmm. Like here, like professors, dorms, porn, like this whole like, it's, ob- the game, it's obviously the battle is on, but there was just something in me like, all right, this, I was made for this. This is good. This is good. And I just, you know, I, that's something, if we're followers of Jesus, that's, that should be there. God wants that to be there. Like, okay, there's opposition, but greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. And it actually should be us going on the offensive, not the other way around. So God may be showing us today, hey, expect opposition, and, but we may need to count the cost to look at, okay, if there is a war, what does it look like for me? Am I in the army? Am I, like, gonna, am I actually getting what I need to be part of victory happening in the world? Because there is opposition. The question is, am I going to have what it takes to, to be winning in this battle? Um, you know, he may be, I'm sure this is true for all of us, but just calling us to expect to serve. They're like, oh yeah, and we, I, mean, I need to be recalibrated about this on a daily basis. We're like, oh yeah, it's not just living for me. <laughs> it's like crazy how I just find myself back in that spot without trying over and over again, like thinking about my own life. But, oh yeah, it's not about me. It's, man, God, how can I, who can I serve? Who am I, who am I called to serve today? And what does that look like? And then, you know, for all of us, expecting a reward living with an expectation of, God, as I trust you, as I follow you, there's a reward, man. This is, there's grace. There is a reward now. There is grace for what I need today. There's grace for what I need tomorrow. And there's, there's you transforming me and making me into the person I really always wanted to be. And there's going to be a crown of glory at the end of my life. So, expect a reward. All right, I um, would love to hear some, I'm just looking forward to talking to some of you about, about that, about what God's speaking to you about this. But I am um, just going to, let's see, what time is it? What are yeah, I'm just going to pray for us. And let's, let's pray together. Thank you, God. Lord, I just thank you for the huge privilege of being called by you and chosen by you. God, and we thank you that you've made each one of us for a battle. You've made each one of us to overcome. You've made each one of us to live for something bigger than ourself to live for others and you've also made each one of us to to desire a reward and Lord would you more fully bring these things about in our lives God will you help I pray for people in this room as individuals and for us as a church that we would more fully come into being these kind of people Lord, I just I pray for clarity and understanding to walk this out, Lord. And most of all, we look to you. We look to your resurrection power. We look to your grace. 
your ability to walk this out. Thank you for this. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, feel free to stay as long as you want. Talk to some people if you want prayer for anything. Uh, talk to somebody. We'd love to pray with you. Uh, we've got some refreshments. Um, the Connect cards are at the Welcome Center in the lobby. So especially, we'd love to um, gather information if you would, would like. And especially if, as we're forming our community groups, um, that will be really helpful for us in the next couple of weeks. We're going to start those the week of September 11th. So we've got a couple of weeks on that right now. So have a great week. Enjoy the, enjoy the battle. Enjoy the camaraderie. And I look forward to hearing some great stories.